Welcome to your favorite F-word podcast, where we dive deep into conversations around food, fitness, feelings, with the occasional fuck thrown in. We're your hosts, Sarah and Nicola, owners of Paradigm Nutrition and Performance, nutrition coaches, besties, and most importantly, humans. This show is for coaches, self-growth-oriented folks, active humans, or anyone looking to deepen their understanding and relationship with food, movement, and themselves. Thanks for tuning in, and we cannot wait to share this space with you. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Your Favorite F-Word podcast. We are Nicola and Sarah, and we're coming at you with a more coach kind of philosophy-related episode this week. We're going to be diving into the concept of human-centered coaching, what that means for us and how it's evolved, how to start infusing it into your own coaching practice, and a little bit more of a personal take on that as well. If you're a client or you are someone who's working on your own health and fitness, this is something you might take with you. It might align well with conversations about your core values. There might be takeaways for your own career and your own journey. And if you're a coach here with us, there will be a lot of takeaways for you to potentially consider or implement for your own coaching practice and business. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. This is going to be a fun one today. I, uh, Nicola and I have both come a long way in terms of coaching from a human-centered lens this past year. We've done a lot of personal development, um, had a lot of growth as individuals and together running our business, um, and just the landscape of the past year, navigating the pandemic, the different social justice movements that have been happening. It's definitely, while uncomfortable, it's been super uncomfortable for me. I've had to... um, I mean, unlearn and relearn a lot of things and I still like, I'll make mistakes, I'll say things wrong, et cetera. Um, But it's really opened our eyes to how coaching is generally put out there, especially in the health and fitness space. Um, I think that a lot of us get into coaching because we want to help people, um, but we do that without recognizing our own kind of privileges that we have in the space, whether... I mean, the ones that kind of come to light often, especially this past year, are things like race, body size, socioeconomic status, et cetera. But also this fact that like we're in the nutrition and fitness space. <laughs> Lots of us grew up active. We grew up having access to healthy food, education, et cetera. And the fact that we like work and live and breathe this stuff is going to make it a lot easier for us than a lot of the clients that we work with. And so for us to tell a client to stop making excuses or that they have a mindset block or something like that, it, it's not fair. Um, and it's definitely not something that's human centered. So those are the kind of conversations that we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, So a lot of what we've learned in this space is kind of thanks to a few different folks in the coaching industry, um, even outside of the fitness and nutrition space. So we hired two coaches last year, uh, a powerful duo, uh, Rachel and Sarah Turner. Um, They are a couple, they are just magical human beings, but they taught us what they have created as to be the leadership designs. It's a framework they created that helps break down like the bro marketing we see in this space, um, but also advocates for seeing people as human first, 
business second, or in our case, human first, client second. Um, and ultimately the work we've done with them has created like a really great space for our own personal growth, for us to see ourselves in each of these leadership designs, identify our strengths, identify our weaknesses, and ultimately build the skills to be um, more emotionally intelligent, to be more regulated with our actions, and ultimately just to like see and meet people where they're at and truly be able to say that we're doing that work instead of the like, oh, I'll meet people where they're at only if they do X or Y. Um, so big shout out to Sarah and Rachel Turner. Um, Katie Kurtz is someone else who has been pretty impactful to our work in the last year. She is... Um, I believe she has a master's in social work um, and she's a coach herself and she teaches people about trauma-informed space holding. So that's the practice of holding space for folks regardless of diversity, regardless of their background, regardless of their lived experiences. And again, being able to truly meet them where they're at and create a space in which they can explore their own safety within that. So we highly recommend checking her out. Um, she's got a wonderful course called Cultivate, um, but I think we'll link both her work and the work of Rachel and Sarah in our show notes for you today. Yeah. So you guys can pop in there and check them out. So moving into today's episode, we've created Paradigm, we've created our coaching business around this idea of human-centered coaching. So we're going to explore what that actually means and look at kind of the quote unquote, like strategies or methods that we're using to implement that inside our business. And I mean, the topics that we could discuss in terms of human centered coaching extend beyond what we have time for in one podcast episode. Um, we'll likely probably break them down into full episodes on their own in future, uh, future podcasts. But today we're going to talk about concepts such as authority, professionalism. We're going to talk about our communication with the client. Um, we're going to talk about this idea of individualized programming um, or individualized coaching. Okay. And then we'll also lean into a little bit of copy marketing, specifically shame-based or quote unquote, as Rachel likes to call it, bro marketing tactics <laughs> um, and how we can avoid using those while still reaching lots of people. Um, so why don't we start with authority, build authority, position yourself as an authority. <laughs> yeah. So what Sarah is comically referring to is the kind of like conventional business practices that so many of us are taught when we first dive into having our own business. So this idea of authority is essentially one that places you in a hierarchy with your audience and the clients that you eventually want to be working with. Authority literally means to have or wield control or power over someone. And so if we are basing our business from a place of authority, we are literally putting ourselves on a pedestal and speaking down towards our clients. If we're running our business or we're coaching from a place of authority, Essentially what that means is that we are going to be assuming that we know what's best for the client, regardless of how well we know them, what their lived experiences have been, the privileges that we have, the biases we have, etc. And so what that ultimately does for the client coach relationship is build one where the client assumes that they need you. And from that conventional marketing perspective, I mean, that's exactly what they're after. 
the goal of that marketing strategy is to make people think they need you so that they're signing up with you. And while like on paper, you're seeing clients come in and building like a revenue, like ka-ching, it sounds awesome. But then to put that into practice and actually build a solid coaching human relationship with a person you've manipulated into your space gets really messy when you're actually starting to work with them. And what we've seen from our own experiences, what we've seen in the industry, what we were taught to do, then creates a relationship where there's really a sense of enabling, where the client no longer trusts themselves, they only trust you. Um, They become codependent, they really need your feedback, they need your, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? validation, validation, affirmations, et cetera. And so if, and when the time comes where the client was going to leave, do they really feel set up to carry on and be successful on their own? And nine times out of 10, the answer in those relationships is no. Um, Those are the folks that we get into our space who said like, Hey, I did X and Y program. It was great. Um, But then once the program was over, like, I couldn't actually do any of it my own. I actually didn't learn that much information. I was literally just following a template or, or whatever it is that came from that program because the coach in that space was just telling me what to do and that was it. And so we've moved away from that into, I mean, what we'll talk about later as like our version of individualized programming, but ultimately viewing the client through that human-centered lens then brings us back down to like a even playing field with a client where we are truly meeting them on the same level. And we are coming to that space by identifying our own privilege, seeing our own biases and working to see them through that and giving them space to tell us about or not tell us about their own lived experiences and come into our space with whatever energy capacity they have. And together we collaborate instead of talking to them or telling them what to do. We work as a team and move through our work together in that framework. And so that's kind of how we have viewed and witnessed and been a part of that authority kind of idea and how our human centered coaching then brings us to the other kind of end of that spectrum where we're not power over, we're power with. Yeah. Collaboration over authority. Absolutely. When it comes down to it, regardless of whether the client is struggling to implement or do the things they know they could do to help them feel better and move closer to their goal, the client is always the they know what's best for themselves. You know, like they're the professional of themselves or they're the expert on themselves, right? A lot of times inside coaching, they're coming because they need help guiding them towards those decisions. They don't need to be told exactly what to do. They need, and I'm saying need, but I mean, we don't know what they need, (laughs) but, and that's a part of this, right? They're generally wanting someone to help them get curious, to understand themselves better, to build self-awareness and self-trust, right? And that doesn't happen from a place of us telling them exactly what to do. Um, so that's that's the big thing. And I think collaboration, I mean, that's a perfect word for it, right? That's a much more supportive and stable coaching relationship for majority of the clients that we're going to work with, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the next kind of idea, was there anything else with authority? No, I think that one's kind of like a 
an, a more easily understood topic, um, whether you've been a coach or have been able to use that language before. I think when you now see it in practice, you won't be able to unsee it. For sure. I think that's a lot of this too. And before we move on, I thought of this as you were um, starting this piece on authority. It's important to recognize like, yes, we're in the process. We are business owners coaches need to make money. We need to be paid for our services in order to make it sustainable, et cetera. So when we say like things, I can't remember how you explained it, but when you were talking about authority as a way to like get money or make money, the whole point of this podcast and the whole point of human-centered coaching is being able to build a financially successful business that allows us to feel good to know that we're making an impact and to treat humans as humans, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so don't take any of this as like, oh, it means that we can't have a lucrative business, you know? Like, I think that if we're able to stick with our values and we're able to move from a human-centered lens, it's going to be way more financially successful and sustainable long-term, you know? Not to mention gratifying. For sure. Like so much more fulfilling. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the next one we want to talk about is professionalism. And this is one of my favorite ones. Um, I think because especially, I mean, Nicola has brought this out in me a lot because Nicola, one of her core values is playfulness, right? Like she is a playful human. She wants to have fun. And if she can't have fun inside something, like she's not going to be there, you know, she's out. So for me, my upbringing was more of this like professional, like structured, you know, like I don't like fun. That's always like a joke. (laughs) Like we'll be like, you hate fun. Um, And so I think that came from like certain expectations I had put on myself or others had put on me. But regardless, there's this idea that inside of our business, we need to be quote unquote professionals. Okay. And I mean, there are certain areas where 100% acting in a professional manner is necessary. Okay. Um, getting consent from clients, asking for consent, um, client confidentiality, understanding your, your scope of practice and referring out if that is being pushed, right? Those are areas of professionalism that are 100% necessary inside of a business. Okay. But outside of that, be you, You know, if you cannot be you inside of your business, if you're stuck in this box of being a professional. um, So for me, I like to swear, you know, I'm going to say fuck. That's part. Some people might not consider that as professional, but that's who I am. And some people like that draws them to me, right? Because like I've had so many DMs being like, oh, I love that you just like swear. And then I'll get a message from my mom. Stop swearing on Instagram, you know? (laughs) So that's just like one example. But, you know, when we think about this idea of professionalism, I think often it's, we feel like we need to fit into this box to impress someone else, whether that's our peers, whether we want our peers to quote unquote respect us or look up to us or see us as quote-unquote professionals or we're trying to please parents or spouses or someone else, you know? Um, But I think that the more we force ourselves into that and the less of ourselves we bring to our business, I mean, it's going to be not as sustainable, again, not as fulfilling, 
it's going to be tougher for us to build deeper relationships with our clients because we're not able to fully be ourselves inside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think like professionalism for me, like feels like an extra layer of removal. It's like, I'm over here maintaining my composure, being on time, being like always prepared for anything that could go wrong. And really like perfection. Mm -hmm. Like I think perfection and professionalism, at least in how it's like referred to or how we grow up thinking about it are like very much the same. And within that, I think there's also like this level of like, you have to be professional and you have to be perfect in order to be respected. And once you're respected, you're an authority. And so together, all of those kind of things take you out of any type of environment where you could collaborate from a human first perspective. And for me, I just found myself prior to coaching, working a lot of jobs where we must uphold professionalism at all costs. And yeah, that meant like not swearing. That meant like using formal documents when formal documents made no sense. When you following a protocol that didn't see people for who they were was like mandated, et cetera. And for me, like, I don't want to be removed from my business. I don't want to be removed from my clients. I want to be in it with them. Mm -hmm. And so like Sarah said, absolutely. There are elements of professionalism that are so important, like consent and confidentiality, et cetera. But what does that actually mean for us in practice? I think we're seeing thankfully like a change in the right direction where like I can show up for a zoom meeting and be present with my client because hey like I just went for a walk and like had a fun conversation with someone in the hallway right before Um, those kind of like small little things giving ourselves space to breathe gives our clients space to breathe and we can come together in a really like authentic way I think professionalism removes that level of authenticity because we're so worked up trying to be perfect and I think like our evolution in that has been really interesting like if we think back to some of our first group calls in the first round of shift I know I had like (laughs) books open on the table I was like wearing a specific like outfit I had like done my hair and I was like I'm ready for anything like if a client asks me any question I am ready because I need to know the answer in order to be professional so I guess it ties into the idea of being like an expert and like what does that really mean and like cut to what a year and a half later I show up to my meetings after like having laid on the couch for a little bit because I needed to get grounded and centered and that's how I show up. And that's my definition of being professional is checking the boxes on my own needs first so that I can show up, be playful and get actually into that collaborative space with our clients. For sure. And if we're going into that space so rigid and structured and professional, how is that creating an open space for our clients to be themselves, you know, like that's going to create, well, not necessarily fear, but it's going to probably put some barriers in place for individuals to speak up or ask questions because they're scared that their kind of vibe or their humanness isn't matching ours because it's so structured or rigid or professional, you know? So when we as humans can be like, oh, I don't actually know the answer to that. I'm going to look it up for you. Or like, I fucked up. I forgot about this call or like, 
I had a crazy day and sorry, I'm a little bit like reactive and off right now. So I'm stuttering my words or something like that. You know, I think that that just, it puts our humanness on the same level. And that's really, really important inside of coaching. It gives permission for the clients or for our audience or for the people in our space to do the same. And that is super, super important. Yeah. I have chills talking about it right now. Um, okay. So yeah, authority and professionalism, those kind of go together hand in hand. So why don't we move into, um, communication with the client, whether it's written, verbal, et cetera, et cetera. What, what are some ways that we can be human centered in that? So one of the ideas I referred to earlier, our work with Katie Kurtz really helped us start to, and this is still a work in progress, but cultivate the art of holding space. So what that actually means in practice, um, I think it's a word that is becoming a little bit more, there's more awareness to what the term holding space is now, but still uh, I think if you threw it out, people would be like, uh, I want to know what that means. And maybe but, I can picture it, but do I actually? But I also think it's kind of like a buzzword. Yeah. Also, like people people just throw it out there. Like, I'm going to hold space for you without actually being like, you know, so like the term is there, but I don't think the actual awareness of what it truly means and how truly to do that. Right. The practice of it is. Yeah. We can all say we'll hold space, but if I'm telling you I'll hold space for you, but while you're speaking, I'm on my phone or, um, you know, caught up in my own process, or if I'm reactive I'm talking over I'm not truly hearing you or doing uh, acting in ways that support you I'm not really holding the space Um, so again in the work with Katie we looked at like how do we hold space for a group what are the different dynamics and needs of the people in front of us Um, how do we you know acknowledge our privileges and work to um like use them in a way that supports the group and or acknowledge the ways that we can easily center ourselves by speaking through our privilege only and kind of being able to check those at the door, Um, breaking down the biases we might have and understanding that we might falter in some of our language. So creating like group rules or guidelines to support one another through Um, being explicitly clear with our own boundaries so that we're not put in a space where we we have to cross our boundaries. We're not building resentments, etc. Um, showing up and expressing our needs, um, and that might even look like canceling a meeting if we weren't physically in a space or mentally in a space where we could, you know, show up for someone in the ways that we needed, um, or saying no to things that we don't have the capacity for. Because if we keep going into meetings, going into work situations or relationships without the capacity we say we have, we're not actually holding space for the folks in front of us. I think a piece of it that has been really challenging for me personally is this idea of not automatically defaulting to quote unquote fixing a problem when a client or Nicola, or my partner, really, this can go to any aspect of your life. When someone comes to you with a situation whereby they're not happy with the outcome or something's going on, or they're coming to you looking for empathy or looking to just vent, you know, um, 
I, my personality is one that's very much quick to be like, okay, cool. That's a problem. Here's different solutions for it, you know? Um, but being able to listen and empathize and sit in the shit with them, you know, I think that that is something that's very important as a coach as well. Um, and giving our clients that space to come to us with that information and not receive feedback, you know? And I, yeah, that's been a big piece of holding space. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that has been challenging, I think, um, but very, very important. So we, we straight up will say to our clients, hey, if you need to vent, if you need a place to be heard, if you feel like you don't have supports to share in other aspects of your life and you want to just put that information here, I say it jokingly, but I'm very serious. I say, hey, pop in a boxer, say, Sarah, fuck off with the feedback. I just need you to listen. And then say what you need to say, right? Um, and then on the other end, asking for consent to give feedback or give our opinions or outlooks or offer different ways of searching or of approaching the situation, right? Saying, hey, wow, that's a really difficult situation. Um, are you open to a conversation? Are you open to feedback? You know, and that can help the client be more receptive to that or it can help help them be able to say no and not have that feedback given in a situation where they're not open to receiving it. Did that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think too, in order to get to a space where we feel more comfortably essentially like giving up authority and putting that kind of like power into the client. So they're in the driver's seat and they're telling us what they need. A lot of that comes from like setting really specific boundaries and guidelines ahead of time. Um, so what that can look like is a lot of different ways. I mean, when we onboard a client, we can have our boundaries, whether that's like our office hours, um, timelines for responses, things like that. We can have those in writing in an onboarding package for them. In our first intake call, we'll often talk to the clients and remind them of those things, kind of the things we will do, the things we won't do, what's in our scope, what's out of scope. Um, And a part of that conversation often looks like, like, hey, some of the work we do gets quite vulnerable. Mental health is included in our health and fitness and therefore will absolutely be a part of nutrition. If there comes a time where we feel like the conversation is moving outside of our scope, we might check in and say, hey, are you also working with a therapist or counselor or other professional? Or if we're responding to a Voxer message or in a client call, I might say, hey, if you're wanting a response from me, I'm going to respond from Nicola the human, not Nicola the coach, because right now I'm not giving advice. I'm just talking with you. Um, And I think making that separation can be really important too. It sets a boundary. Um, It also tells them where our consent is, that we are consenting to be a part of it, but that there is also an aspect that becomes out of our scope and we will absolutely help someone find someone more, um, uh, yeah, able, able, qualified, all of those things to help them in those fashions. But I think when we talk about 
what does the human first approach look like here? It's not leaving that person out to dry. If they're in something and it involves their health and fitness, they're a human, they're in our space, we're in theirs, and we can still be there for them without crossing any boundaries, without crossing any of our own or their lines, um, and support them in a lot of different ways that, again, aren't really talked about in conventional coaching. For sure. Yeah. Um, we have like a bunch of other notes that we can talk about in terms of communication with the client. Um, some quick kind of just recap, not recaps, but some quick other considerations is just going to be around what type of communication do you have with them? Is it video calls? Is it phone calls? Is it written? Um, understanding what type of the communication the client truly enjoys and feels like they can express themselves in and potentially offering that inside of your coaching. So we have multiple inside of our coaching, we have written options and we have voice memo options. Um, some of those are going to serve certain clients better than others. Um, but within the communication, the biggest piece is we want to spend more time asking questions and listening you know, and that is going to really allow us to hold that space for the client. If we are constantly offering feedback or centering ourselves or like overloading with information, it's not going to be, it's generally not going to be a super supportive space and it's not going to allow our clients to be human inside of that. Um, so that's a big piece too. Mm -hmm. And then to two just little fun things that we like to learn about our clients when we do our intake with them is we like to ask them for their love language. Mm -hmm. um, that's a fun little question. And I mean, some people don't know what love languages are, so that's cool. But if we know that a client's love language is words of affirmation, we can infuse that into our coaching with them. And we can make a habit of making sure that we are acknowledging their efforts and their wins, et cetera, more so than a client who's maybe maybe their um, love language is physical, not physical touch. <laughs> That's a tough one for us. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tough one for us to pull on there. Um, but I was going to say quality time, right? A quality time love language might be better served from like a video call or something like that. You know, um, it's not an end all be all by any means, but it's a way for us to kind of get to know their communication styles a little bit better. And then we also like to ask about core values. Um, that's a way for us to really see the human inside of that person and like, okay, where do their decisions and their actions and behaviors, where do those stem from? And inside of our coaching, how can we relate things back to that to help it make more sense and be more enjoyable for them? Yeah. You know? Maybe a last point here on the communication side is that all of this that we've talked about is like for the client, how do we show up for the client? make them comfortable, see them first. But we do also need to take into account what's comfortable and grounding and impactful for us. Um, so if you're a coach who's not comfortable doing video calls, maybe you don't start with that. Maybe you don't offer that because we also don't want to be extending ourselves and putting ourselves in a position where our maybe consent or boundaries are crossed 
just inherently in the program we're offering. Um, that doesn't generally leave us feeling really great, leads to a lot of burnout and potentially resentment. Um, and then finally, before we are communicating with clients, just taking even a moment to check in with ourselves and saying like, am I grounded? Am I anchored? What can I do for myself so that I can hold space for another person afterwards? Mm-hmm. Two just little things to check in with. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to this next kind of concept. This one, so this idea of individualized coaching or creating an individualized program. I just hired a nutrition coach. um, And so in that, I looked at probably 20 different nutrition coaches, websites or companies, and every single one said individualized program based on your needs and lifestyle and goals, you know, and I mean, yeah, a part of human-centered coaching is individualizing it to the client. I mean, that, I mean, they kind of mean the same thing when it comes down to it, but what does that actually mean, you know? Um, and when we look at an individualized program, it doesn't mean that we need to necessarily like extend ourselves or move beyond our scope or know a million different ways to work with someone. Um, it is about understanding how to create that collaboration, you know, and how to move into the coaching container from that space of collaborating versus that space of, hey, this is my methods. You're going to do what my methods are because they worked for me. So they're going to work for you, you know? Um, So yeah, let's move into that a little bit more. Yeah. So I think like, even if we're a nutrition coach and we have one main method of supporting clients, let's say it's macro tracking. So even if that's what we're most comfortable with, I think we see a lot of coaches as they first start getting into the space, they know macros, they know the numbers behind it. Um, so they, they feel most comfortable with it. I think that's important to acknowledge. Like, what are you most comfortable teaching and supporting through? So we can absolutely have that one method and still be individual in how we explore that and work with clients. And that doesn't mean that just like, oh, they have an individualized macro target or macro range. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) That's certainly a piece of it. Yeah. Um, But there's, we're looking at different ways of like, how are we communicating with them? How are we getting to know what works best for them? Is it suggestions and feedback? Is it support and empathy and listening? Um, Some people will hate calls. Some people will love calls. Some people will love reading PDFs, um, getting links to resources online. Other people just want to be like, hey, what's a recipe for this? Like there are so many differences in terms of client needs just on like the very basic level Mm -hmm. in terms of one-on-one support but then as we break it down into their personality lived experiences um body image relationship with food things like that those are what we're talking about in terms of like tailoring and individualizing so maybe one client is taking their weight every day because they're comfortable with it and they love the data but another client we can't assume that they're just as comfortable so maybe we have to have a conversation around you know what's triggering for them about hopping onto the scale when would be a good time to do it when is not a good time to do it do we need to do it at all etc so those are kind of like the things we can start talking about. Yeah. Some other examples are 
if we're using macro tracking as an example, um, different strategies within that. So some of our clients track macros every single day. Some of them, maybe their goal is three to four times a week, right? Um, maybe we're starting, this person is completely new to tracking. So maybe they have a calorie and a protein target and carbs and fats are a little bit more flex, right? There's room to move within that, even though tracking macros is the main tool. Okay. And I also think with this, it's important to recognize, like, it's okay to turn down a client. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's more beneficial for you and the client to say no. Um, so if, like, yes, there are ways to individualize things and there's things we need to consider in order to meet clients where they're at. But if it's a client that's going to take us so far away from what we know, what we feel comfortable in, what we can maintain boundaries in, maybe that client isn't going to be the best client for us. And also we're probably not going to be able to serve that client very well, right? If we're having to completely rewrite our entire strategy um, and our entire methods and be pushed out of what we're feel confident in, you know? Um, so I think that that's an important thing to remember as well. Um, anything else in terms of like strategies that we want to touch on? Um, I don't know if there's strategies. I think maybe while we're looking at different conversations, um, different ways to utilize the macro tool, um, something that we've come to use and rely on a lot, if not more than the macros themselves, are like looking at the biofeedback of the client, which is inherently individualized. Mm -hmm. um, so by biofeedback, um, Sam Miller has a great acronym for this. He calls SHREDS. So that's sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress as like the very basic biofeedback markers that we want to be looking at all the time. So day to day, week to week, looking at trends, um, seeing if there's correlation, recognizing that correlation doesn't equal causation, but a lot of times there are so many of these biofeedback markers that are linked, like stress and sleep, energy and digestion, those kind of things. Um, and we can start to broaden the scope of those as a client gets more comfortable looking into their own personal data. And I think this is a fun one for most clients because they then get the awareness um, about what's going on in their lives and they start linking things together and literally coaching themselves through aspects of their nutrition. Um, looking at the menstrual cycle is a big one for most women or menstruating folks. Um, getting to know their cycle and what that means for their energy levels and how they perform in the gym and what kind of foods they're craving um, really becomes empowering for them um, and yeah. is something so individual to them that you get to work on with them, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that biofeedback is a big is a big piece for sure. So those are just some considerations inside of like, what does individualized program truly mean, you know, and how can we, again, this idea of meeting the clients where they're at, getting an, an assessment of their needs, their communication styles, what's going to make sense for them without moving completely outside of our scope, outside of the way we've set up our business or our business, our like tracking software, our forms and like that kind of stuff, you know? Um, so, and then the other thing with individualizing a program or coaching container is we want to consider the onboarding process. And I think that this is a really big, important piece that some of us maybe overlook um, because how that client comes in to the container 
and the communication and the boundaries that are kind of expressed off the bat and the expectations are going to form the basis for the rest of the relationship. So when we're considering the onboarding process, how are people coming in? Is there an application? Do you get to talk to them first? Are people just signing up, paying their money, and then you talk to them after and realize they're not a great fit, right? That's generally not going to be like super supportive of working with the clients that you're actually able to meet them where they're at. Um, How are expectations being communicated? Nicola and I personally see this one a lot when we get clients who want to go into a fat loss phase who aren't ready, aren't in a metabolically, mentally healthy position to enter a calorie deficit, right? So how are we communicating that to the client? How are we helping them understand that um, and walking them through like the steps that need to happen to get to that point, right? Um, and then how are we gathering info on what the client needs? Is it through, is it all written? Is it through a form where we never actually get to talk face-to-face with the client and build that relationship? I mean, that's going to work better for some people and some clients and that's totally fine. Um, we do a mix, we have an intake form and then we'll generally hop on a call, um, and do an intake call and kind of go over the questions in more detail, get a better understanding, of the client. Um, so those are some things to consider as you're setting up your onboarding process as well. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately individualized program for us means allowing the client to have their process inside of our work together is usually what it breaks down to. It's not yeah. a special like magic trick. It's just letting the client work at their own pace inside of your collaborative efforts. Yeah. Be themselves, take the time they need. Yeah, that can go in the sales, the sales process too. We'll have a conversation about that in another podcast. Um, but yeah, okay. So last little piece, um, and again, we're going to have a full podcast on this. I'm gonna maybe let Nicola go through most of this because I get very ranty <laughs> on this situation. It's also like it's super embarrassing when I like think back to how I used to do things. Um, but let's talk about this idea of shame-based copy. Okay. So for people listening who are unsure of what copy is, copy or copywriting is literally just the language that we use in any of our marketing, advertising, um, communication, basically any of that. So we use copy. Copy would be like the caption in our Instagram posts. Copy would be the write-up for this podcast. Copy would be um, sales page. the sales page or what you see when you go onto our website. All of that is copy, copywriting. Um, so again, if we think about like conventional marketing, all of the copy and what you're taught around the language that you have is designed to sell a product. And what that means, the quickest way to sell a person a product is to get in their heads, use pain points, and essentially manipulate them into thinking they need to work with you. Whether or not they actually do, who knows? Um, and so part of the human first, kind of our human centered approach that we've moved into kind of breaks away from those very specific, very targeted types of copy where we're no longer trying to get into their heads. I can't imagine actually being in anybody else's head, let alone my own. Yeah. And trying to use 
what triggers them, what's upsetting to them, their pain points in order to pull a yes or like a sign up or a sale out of them. Um, and so we want to recognize that we all have individual human experiences and that kind of copy doesn't allow for that broad expression of humanity. Um, and essentially like what we see generally is people sharing a story that they think is relatable in order to get people to say like, oh, they see me, like I feel so seen or wow, it sounds like you're in my head. When realistically, our experience is probably vastly different than yours. And so in the copy that we try and write is moving towards a place where, yes, we acknowledge our own experience and we acknowledge that we speak through that. But what we don't do is center ourselves, our experience is the only way forward or the only way for success. Um, we make room for people to pause and think about things instead of telling people how they should or need to feel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, similar to what we do inside of coaching, right? It's more of a, how in our copy can we encourage people to get curious and ask questions, you know, um, versus telling them. And so like an example of this in a post would be, I know you wake up in the morning and dread getting dressed or like I used to struggle so hard Friday rolled around and I used to hate it because I had to decide between drinking my face off and hating myself the next day or not going out and not seeing my friends. Those types of things, right? Where who's ever writing the copy is claiming to know exactly how we're feeling. And a lot of times when we read those, we'll be like, yeah, I feel that, you know, but it's even if it's the same broad spectrum idea, maybe it's around body image or maybe it's around navigating social or something, social situations or something our experience inside of that is never the same as someone else's, you know? And I think that that's the thing that we need to recognize. There are pieces of marketing and selling, like there's a science behind that. And we can still utilize that science without creating shame and guilt and that negative, that negative state, you know? Um, Or potentially like resurfacing trauma for someone or causing harm. Yes, definitely. And with this too, going back to that idea of authority, if we are bringing people into our program because we have centered ourselves, shared our experience and said that our coaching is the solution to their problems, it creates that codependency, that like need inside of the coaching relationship and goes back to the start of this podcast, you know? Um, So it's, there's ways to utilize the science of marketing and selling without using shame and using pain points, et cetera. And so, like I said, we'll have another podcast on that, but if you guys want to dive into that topic, if you folks want to dive into that topic, this is something, this is another like human centered thing that lots of us don't think about is the way we address an audience, right? I'm trying to stop saying guys, saying folks. Um, work in progress. But if you want to explore this more, um, or you're noticing that that's like your tendency, um, or having troubles working around that, check out our friend Nat. Her Instagram is at the brand copywriter. 
Um, her entire business is based off of this concept. She's absolutely amazing. She has tons of like tips and resources and different services, um, free and paid uh, resources for you to um, kind of dive into this a little bit more. Your copy game. Yeah, she's the best. Cool. So yeah, I think we can wrap up that. Yeah, if you're forever. this might just be a client or someone working on your own health and fitness. Maybe just start noticing like what comes up for you when you read someone's copy, whether it's an Instagram caption, um, hear them chat, see an ad, look on their website, etc. Notice if you feel seen and what does that mean. Notice if your pain points are brought to light and you're kind of like triggered by something um, or notice if you feel empowered walking away. Like, do you think what they, what the copy posed to you or the questions they asked, did they leave you thinking and growing and being more aware or did they leave you feeling shitty and like you needed something like you were lacking? Um, and if you're a coach, pay attention to your own copy and ask yourself the same questions. Is my copy empowering? Is it um, inviting people to get curious, ask questions, become more aware, or am I directing them because they need me? Am I making them feel like they are lacking something that I can fulfill? Um, And just get curious there. Yeah. I think I just thought of this too, um, based on a conversation that I had with one of my clients a while ago is, are we human-centered coaching is going to create a space where the client wants to become more of themselves and uncover more of themselves and develop a deeper relationship with themselves, right? Whereas if we are centering ourselves in coaching or using shame-based copy or any of those tactics on the opposite end of the spectrum, the client is likely feeling like they want to be more like us, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I think that's what we see a lot in the fitness space is coaches trying to create clones of themselves, you know, and it usually comes from a great place. It comes from a place of wanting to help people and have ha- and from having gone through a personal transformation, personal growth and wanting to share that with others. But how can we do that in a way that allows others to be more of themselves instead of feeling like they need to be, look, act, think like us? Yeah, we don't need any more of us. Let's, yeah, we de- <laughs> Let's definitely not. <laughs> You do you, boo-boo. So yeah, I think that that's a good kind of close up to that. Cool. Um, Yeah. Well, we focused on our human-centered coaching today and looked at a bunch of different aspects about it. Um, And hopefully that was relatable, whether you are in your own fitness and nutrition journey, if you are one of our clients, hope to be a future client, or if you're a coach. Um, And I guess in closing, we'll mention that we are currently developing a coaching course. It is a passive online course, meaning that you go at your own pace. So it'll be self-guided. You can go through all our modules and we will touch on some of the things mentioned here. So we do a deeper dive into authority, what that means in terms of your coaching, um, different communication practices, um, and really how to to create a business that feels authentic to you, but also gives the freedom for the client to be an individual inside of it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're looking for more information, you can head to 
our website, which is www.paradigmnutrition.net. You can reach out to either of us on Instagram or find links in our bio to get to that. The course is called The Breakup, which Mm -hmm. I love. Um, So it's based around the anti-diet business course for online nutrition coaches. So we want to see everybody break up with that conventional marketing, that all of those shoulds of the industry and really get into and grow a coaching business that feels at like a home for you and welcomes clients to make it their own as well. For sure. Yeah. It's a great course. If you are a coach who feels like you have like a middle message that isn't polarizing or sexy, you know, and that you're struggling to create a lucrative and successful business for yourself without falling into these tactics, you know, and that's really what we're going to go over, um, inside of the coaching course. So yeah, pre-sale is open right now, depending when you are listening to this, um, you can get on the wait list at the link in our bio. Um, at the end of June, the coach course will launch. You'll get access to the first modules. Um, and then as you go through the course, once you're completed, Uh, all of the modules, you will have the option to book a one-on-one call with Nicola and I that's included in the investment in the course. Um, And we will kind of talk about the concepts as they relate to you and your specific business, et cetera. So hit us up or visit the website if you want more information on that. Wow. Cool. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up with our fuck yes and fuck no. I forgot what my fuck yes was. The smoothies. I, yeah. <laughs> my fuck yes. We'll start with the positive one. Um, it's now hot, like we mentioned. It is summertime now, and I forgot how much I fucking love a good smoothie, especially like a quick one in the morning. You can shove everything you want in there, and it still tastes delicious. So if you're interested, my go-to right now is chocolate protein powder, mm-hmm. unsweetened almond milk, tons of ice, Tons of peanut butter and some spinach. No banana? No banana? Oh, yeah, banana. Yeah. yeah. The banana adds the texture. Yep, yep, yep. Or, or frozen avocado. Also delicious. Makes it super creamy. Yeah. Super weird color. Yeah. It's Don't okay. Weird of the color. Yeah. It's like sludge. Yum. Tastes like a dream. Yeah. Yum, yum. I'm freezing right now because I'm in the basement and it's like so cold down here and I also have to go pee. Um, <laughs> So the thought of a smoothie is like, nah. Um, Okay, fuck no. I was supposed to think of one. Gosh. Um, I mean, it's nice when you can't initially think of a fuck no, right? I know one. When you forget (laughs) to put deodorant on. (laughs) You know? Do you still use the natural deodorant? Oh, I can't. I want. That's a huge fuck no. Natural deodorant. (laughs) Not not happening. Um, Yeah, that like routine stuff. I tried for a while. Some people swear by it. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, with different scents, like they're so individualized, like a scent will smell really good on one person and right on another. And I love the idea of like this one specific routine brand scent. It smells so good on said person. I use it on myself. And after I get a little sweaty, I'm like, what is that odor? Where is that? (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Fuck no. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Super interesting. Fuck yeses and noes here, but we're going to wrap it up. 
thank you everyone for being with us today. If you have any comments, you can hit us up on Instagram at Fit at Nicholas Spencer, or the business page is at Paradigm Nutrition underscore. Um, you could leave us a review or drop any comments here if you have questions about the podcast or anything like that. We appreciate hearing from all of you um, and obviously touching on topics that are relevant to y'all. So yeah, other than that, we're going to peace out for today. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bye everyone. Bye.